Good morning, everybody. Um, do you remember when you were a little kid playing the game Follow the Leader? Right? Um, uh, it was fun, right? Leaders would make you do some crazy things, some weird, weird things, and, and you had to do exactly what they did or else you were out of the game. And the last person who was still able to follow leader, well, then they won the joy of being able to then become the leader, right? And then you got to make up your own crazy stuff, right? And so, you know, whether it's doing somersaults or, you know, trying to uh, slam dunk on a real short hoop, of course, you know, but trying to do a whole bunch of other really fun things that people liked. liked. Everybody wanted to be the leader, right? And so um, uh, while I was uh, preparing for this, uh, I came across um, some quotes. It was supposed to be the top 25 quotes. We're not going to share all 25, but the top 25 quotes of leadership. And so I chose only 10, and I tried to choose 10 that uh, most people would know who they are. There's some people on here. I have no idea who they are, but uh, we'll start. Go ahead and showing them. Sydney, uh, uh, the first one's from Douglas MacArthur, and it says, a true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. Pretty good stuff, right? Number two, a good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. A great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. Eleanor Roosevelt. Another one. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Martin Luther King, Jr. And then this one. Leadership is no longer about your position. It's now more about your passion for excellence and making a difference. You can lead without a title. And you know what? I have no idea who Robin Sharma is, but I, I'll just put that one there. And then leaders think and talk about the solutions. Followers think and talk about the problems. This next one, the greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. He is the one that gets the people to do the greatest things. Ronald Reagan. And then this one, I cannot give you the formula for success but I can give you the formula for failure, which is try to please everybody. Boy, uh, I've, I've submitted to that one many times. And uh, then this one, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Maya Angelou. And this one from Max Lucado, a man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. And finally, this one is, is my favorite. <laughs> Life is hard, it's harder if you're stupid. All right? John Wayne. And these quotes do have some good insights, right? But I, I'd like for us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning and see what the Apostle Paul says about leadership to the church in Corinth. Now, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Roger shared with us at the end of chapter 3 uh, where he encouraged us to handle the corporate body of Christ, the people of God, with care. 
He closed with verse 23. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. And he reminded us, God owns us. God gives us certain things. He gives us wisdom. He gives us people. He gives us gifts. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us all things. He gives us this world. He gives us life. Life to bring God glory. And he also brings us death. Because we long to be in his presence. He gives us the present and he gives us the future. Roger shared all those things with us. And with that in mind, I'd like us to now read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. There's that one. Now we can go to that next one. Say thanks. I did not give her any time at all to be able to look these over. So here we go. Verse, first two verses. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And finally in verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul is showing the Corinthian church um, how to follow the leader. One, one commentator wrote that one could subtitle this passage, How to Evaluate a Minister. It's a popular game played in, in uh, many different churches and many different Christians who are continually evaluating pastors and other church leaders. It's not a new game. The members of the Corinthian church were experts at playing the comparison game. And so what I'd like to do is, is just point out, very simple, the points that we're going to look at. But I want to try to challenge us in maybe thinking of things that we hadn't thought of. So the first point in this is Paul and Apollos are servant leaders who serve Jesus. Now, Paul's writing this passage to the Corinthians because there's been a, a lot of problems. The Corinthians, they don't respect Paul's leadership anymore. They've got gravitated toward other leaders. We've read earlier on in, in chapters 1, and we read also in chapter 3, where it's talking about the comparison game. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, who's Peter. It's even one group, I follow Christ. And so he's looking at this, and he's trying to present to us the fact that Paul and Apollos, they're both servant leaders. But I want you to see a distinction here. 
Because in our translation, a servant doesn't quite get it the way it should. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul uses this word, servants, diakonos. And that word means humble, submissive, personal service with less emphasis on a specific office or a particular function. That's that particular word for chapter 3, verse 5. But the word he uses here is a much different word. The word he uses here in chapter 4, hyperites. supposed to be a Y there instead of a U. That's for, uh, you know what that word means? It's an under oarsman. You're thinking, huh, what is that all about? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this picture. Let's go to the next slide. And I know you, you, it's too small for you to see, and don't even think about trying to read the words. I'm not trying to read the words. I just want to point out to you that on the very far left, if you're looking at the front of the boat, and you're seeing on the left-hand side is what it would look like fulfilled, and on the right-hand side, it's a cutout. You'll see almost staggered like three different layers of rowers. The one on the very bottom is the under oarsman. You did not want to be in that position. It was not the greatest position to be in. And as you can see also, look in the top right where it's all the wooden planks from the top looking down. Look at all those oars. This is a battleship. And so you need, on both sides of the boat, all these oarsmen. And there was three rows of them. And so when you're the under oarsman, man, that is just not, that is not traveling in style. All right? You have one job. One job. And that is to keep in sync with the captain with whoever is calling out, row, row. If you messed up at, up at all, you could be messing up some of the people around you, which then you lose speed or you couldn't turn. I mean, it's precise. And so that when you look on this bottom one, you know, you see there's two towers up there, and, and that's where then you'd have people, and they could shoot arrows, and, and they could also shoot other things. And, but the oarsmen, they made this battleship go. And that's what, what Paul is calling out here as a servant. It's not just, hey, you know what, yeah, be nice, and, and you can do this. You have a responsibility for you. You had one job. And it was the least favorite job out of anybody. And that's the word Paul uses to describe what kind of servant he and Apollos are. Look at this next picture. This one's maybe a little more familiar. Ben-Hur. And, and there's an, an example just from a movie. of You see on the far left of the picture, that, that's the top. Uh, Ben-Hur is right there in the middle. And then you see the other guys down at the bottom. And that's even like a really clean kind of picture. Because let me tell you, it was not clean down there. 
It was filthy. You did not get to take breaks to use the restroom. You really didn't even get to take breaks for food until you had accomplished whatever it was the captain wanted to be accomplished. And so when you think about, you know, a ship, it's one thing to think about sailors, right? And they're all dealing with other things up on the top side. But when you're talking about a battleship, and you're talking about you get to do nothing but row. It's ex exhausting. You're just wiped. And you know what? That's the kind of word that Paul used. So, yeah, it's, it, it's translated the same way as servant, like we think of some servants in a household. But it has a completely different meaning. And you know what? The church in Corinth knew exactly what that meant. Because remember, they're located right there. They, they had seas on each side of them because there was an isthmus where Corinth was right at. And they had sea on, on the east and a sea on the west. They knew exactly. They've seen these Roman ships. They know what they're capable of. They know all the men it takes to make that ship go. They know how difficult it is. So when Paul's talking about this, he is not just referring to, you know, oh yeah, a typical servant. He's using a very specific word. And in this, in this description, Paul's emphasizing that he and Apollos and Cephas were subordinate to Christ. Now, we're thinking he's talking to the Corinthians because he's, he, there is part of his letter. This chapter 4 is the last one before we get into a whole bunch of really nitty-gritty stuff that the church was going through, that sin was just abounding in. But before he tackles that, starting in chapter 5, he has to start dealing with, with this faction, with the fact, could you imagine if some people, just to put it right, right to our own church, if some people were saying, oh man, I really like Pastor Craig's preaching, and someone else said, I really like Pastor Roger's preaching, and we both hope that that's true. But guess what? When it gets to a point of, yeah, the one, he doesn't do as good a job. The other, he, he's not as eloquent. He, he doesn't uh, dig in deep enough. Can you see what would be happening? That's how churches fracture. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing here. He's saying, yeah, no. No. We are serving Christ in this way. So as he goes on, he says, uh, I'm going to read a few things. Verse 
what, just like a captain in that ship who tells the oarsmen what to do, Jesus does that th same thing. Uh, a, a minister in this case, but I, I'd say all of us as believers, we take our orders from Jesus. He's our captain. Paul is just spelling this out because he wants to set the example. But truthfully, he's not saying it's only him and Apollos. That should be the goal for all of us. Because throughout his letters, he's talked about be imitators of me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Jesus. What the Lord Jesus tells his servants is they are to obey, fixing their eyes on him, their spiritual captain for orders. And, and under rower did all the work. And the captain gave the orders and got the glory. That's what Paul's saying his goal is. He and Apollos. Um... They're not ultimately servants of an elder board or a deacon board or a congregation or a denomination. They are servants of Christ. So ministers are not to be paying heed to what the congregation or any group within the congregation wants to hear. It's one of the things I love about uh, when Roger uh, preaches. When he opens up God's word, he's not trying to tickle anybody's ears. He's not trying to, how do I skirt around the, the tough issues in Scripture? Trust me, we're coming into some tough issues in this book. But it's not skirting around it. It's like, okay, Lord, you have this for us, so let's dig on in. And what can we learn from it? How can we become more like you, Jesus? How can we be more focused on telling others about the gospel, about who you are? Jesus, even if it's unpopular, even if it's something that's kind of hard for some people to hear. Today I'm, I'm hearing something from myself in just a little bit that is very hard and humbling to hear, and, and, and I'll get to that. But um, two things should characterize a, a, a pastor, one person said. The proclamation of the gospel, serving out of the grace of God to others, and a voluntary, submissive relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the next thing, point two, is Paul and Apollos are stewards of what Jesus gives them responsibility over. They're stewards over what Jesus gives them responsibility over. And by stewards, that word dispenses provisions to do exactly what his master told him. Think of Joseph, Genesis chapter 39. He, he was a steward. He managed his master's affairs. He took care of everything. Not for his profit, for his master's profit. And so, as stewards, one, they were to dispense 
the, the provisions to the rest of the servants, the rest of the slaves. But also, they were to do exactly, exactly what the master said to do, even if the master changed his mind. Okay, yes, yes, master, I'll do that. And that, again, is what Paul is referring to here. And I, I'm just going to find my... He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. So there's a lot that goes into this. The, the mysteries of God. Those are the things that we didn't know about before until God revealed them to us. Back in chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, Paul wrote this. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, he who has uh, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The mysteries of God. We're responsible for those. And to make sure that they are told and shared and handed out. Are we taking that responsibility seriously? Are we... Are we saying, oh, well, that's not my gift. That's not my giftedness. I'll let somebody else do it. I'll let one of the pastors do it. You don't get off the hook that easy. Paul's sharing this, but, yeah, it's still for all of us to be those kind of stewards. Everything you have, the clothes on, on your body right now, the clothes you have in your closet, some of you have a whole lot more than others, right? The shoes, the furniture, the clothes, the cars, the education. You're stewards over all those. You don't own them. They're all God's. Some of you think you've earned your degree. No, you haven't. God gave you the brain. He blessed you with the ability to be able to think critically. He gave you the discipline to be able to follow through on projects. You didn't earn that degree. You didn't earn that promotion. You didn't earn that job. It's all a gift from him. And Paul's trying to bring that out. He's trying to help the, the Corinthians to see that. And so that's just the, the second key area of what it means to follow the leader. A third is Paul's not concerned about what the Corinthians think of him. And this is the one where it starts to hit really close to home. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Man, I wish I could be like that. But you know what? I, I was stressing this morning 
And even though I'd read this and I thought, man, this is just exactly what I need because it's not about me. It's about God's word. And it's not about the person. It's about the leader. And all anybody's ever called to do when they're up in this position is to present the leader in the best way possible, truthfully, so that people can know that he's a loving, just God who loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to pay a debt that you and I couldn't pay, no matter how good we are, how hard we try. And so the job is to be able to present Jesus Christ in the best light possible. And yet, you know what? Sometimes I struggle so much in this because as much as I want to cling to that, I have to own my own, my own fears and my own inadequacies. I want to be liked. I want to be respected. I want to feel as if I did something that was worthy. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, none of that matters. It shouldn't matter. The only thing that matters is, is Jesus proclaimed. So I was going to read to you, um, because this is to my detriment. This one guy I came across, uh, Nafel Stoughton, he wrote this, A person who is more concerned about the quality of a service rather than being a faithful steward will become somewhat paranoid over his service to the Lord. In fact, he may easily begin to see service as more of a performance for an audience of people around him rather than a ministry with God himself as his audience. Folks, I've been guilty of that. I'm struggling with that right now. I'm trying to to get out of the way, but boy, does my sin want to still just jump on in there. It still wants to somehow, like, did you like it? Which in truth comes out, do, do you like me? And I carry that, and I'm trying to let go of that, but I'm just trying to be honest because I know that there's others who deal with that same area. He goes on and he says, there's a big difference in ministering to people with God as the audience and performing in front of people with them as the audience. A person who does the latter will easily think he did not do well if he makes a mistake or if he doesn't get praised. And a person can easily then begin to practice flawless performances apart from faithful service. Man, you know what? I got to tell you, things have not gone well these last few days. (laughs) They haven't. And yet, uh, I was like, no, I can power through this. I can get through it. No, that's okay. That's not going to stop. And, and I know there's many of you who can relate to that. Not just the last few days, but maybe the last few weeks. For some, the last few months. And for others, the last few years. I had the privilege of, of going to something yesterday that was um, very powerful. And you know what? Uh, that, that, that family's here today. And uh, Charlene and Gavin have uh, recently lost their precious little daughter. And many of you know who they are. You just don't know them. 
but you've been praying for them. Some of you have brought meals to them. And they're here today. Compared to the things that I've been struggling with, with my own inward kind of, uh, that's nothing compared to what they're dealing with. And yet I'm so thankful that they had the strength to come here and join our church family today. It just says so much about them and how they are seeking God to bring healing. And I believe God has already used many of you in here to help them. God's been using you. And so as I get up in front of you and talk about my own insecurities, you know, it kind of pales compared to that. But you guys, man, I am so, so glad you're here. And I hope that today, through the songs, through what you hear from God's word, that you can be ministered to today. So as I told you, you know, uh, I, I don't want to be doing a performance. And God absolutely made sure that that was not going to be a performance today. <laughs> uh, couldn't get things printed how I wanted, uh, when I wanted. And, um, and Sydney's doing an incredible job right now of getting, keeping up with the slides. So thanks, Sid. But... Uh, He's just not concerned about what people think of him. And then following the leader, Paul knows that only God can judge him. It's, it's, uh, it's no one else. It's only God. He says in verse 3, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. He's just saying, you know what, I, I just don't know. I'm sure I do, but I don't know right now. But he's not letting that just, just hang over him. He goes, it's the Lord who judges me. And then he goes on in verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. going to stop with uh, something that I, I thought fit um, being with what the Corinthians dealt with, but uh, um, as I'm thinking through it, I'm, I'm almost trying to figure out if I'm going to do an audible or not, but uh, you know, um, I'm just going to go ahead with it. Uh, as an illustration, you know, we've all seen different chain letters before, right? You remember those things, you know? But uh, I, I've seen those, and I've always thought, oh, they're, they're not worth anything, right? They're kind of just a nuisance. But this one, I have to admit, it caught my attention. Some of you may have seen it before. It's entitled The Perfect Pastor. So uh, I'm going to share part of it with you. The Perfect Pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. Roger, we're jacked, man. (laughs) 
He condemns sin soundly but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He's 29 years old and had 40 years' experience. Above all, maybe, Roger, this is you, but dummy, he is handsome. At least our wives think we're handsome, right? Right, I could say that. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for the church council and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. Sorry, that's just not true for me, uh, you know, but. And a postscript states, the perfect pastor is always in a church other than your own. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates in one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three months. <laughs> and uh, he goes on to say, have you noticed that in churches, folks either criticize their pastor or idolize their pastor? Now, listen, I, I want to tell you something. I, I know I can speak for Roger in this. Um, this church has been incredible blessing to us. Incredible blessing to us. And uh, I, I don't think, um, I, I put it this way, I don't recall very many criticisms, like deep criticisms differences of things like that of opinion sure no problem but I'm talking about criticisms like of character or things like that and uh, so blessed by that that hasn't always been the truth at other places I've been at okay but um what was happening in Corinth what Paul was addressing is one they were criticizing Paul but they were starting to idolize their pastors. And I don't want to use any names of pastors, but I think each and every one of us can think of different churches that we know of or we've been to where pastors are idolized. And it's wrong. It's sinful. Uh, I know that uh, so many of them have good character. They don't want to be idolized. They're not seeking that. But the truth is there are others who are. We know that. I mean, I've just confessed to you that, you know, there's that part in my heart that wants to be accepted, wants to be, you know, for me, unfortunately, one, one of my love languages is words of affirmation, right? So it's kind of a struggle for a guy who, who, who seeks those and yet has to say, yeah, but no. No, I don't want those. I want 
Christ to be seen and recognized. I want Christ to be affirmed in people's lives. Not, thanks, Pastor Craig, for, for sharing that. Because that's one thing I, I, I've loved about since Roger's been here. It's about the gospel. And it's about Jesus Christ. It's not about any person who's up front here. What I love about the worship team for the 10 years I've been here, it, it's not about people like, hey, look at us. It's about people who are individually worshiping the Lord and then collectively, corporately worshiping the Lord as a team, which allows us and leads us to worship the Lord through music and song. It's such a special, special relationship. And so Paul was dealing with this. And you know what? I had planned on going all the way through uh, verses 13. But I was like, yeah, no. Can't do that. I'll let Roger tackle 6 through 13 or wherever else he wants to go to next week. So with that, I just want to encourage you that um, when Paul was saying follow the leader, he was basically saying this is how we're following the leader. He's not trying to be like, yeah, be just like me. He's just saying imitate me, but imitate me because this is how, what it looks like to follow Jesus. What does that look like for you? Is he your leader? Or have you been following somebody else? I hope today you'll, you, you'll make a right choice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I uh, thank you for um, taking um, broken and, and disjointed thoughts. And I pray that your Holy Spirit um, makes them whole. And that the words that I shared today will bring glory to you. And so, Father, I, I, I just pray that each heart that's here, those who are here who have known you for years, those who are here who are still seeking you and wondering if you are worthy of giving their life to. Lord, and everybody in between, I pray that they can see you through Paul's words, through his life, and through this book of 1 Corinthians. So Lord, thank you for being with us this morning to challenge and encourage and love and hold each and every one of us. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.